listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 24, verses 1 through 6. Be not envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, for their hearts devise violence, and their lips talk of trouble. By wisdom a house is built, and by understanding it is established. By knowledge the rooms are filled with all precious and pleasant riches. A wise man is full of strength, and a man of knowledge enhances his might. For by wise guidance you can wage your war, and in an abundance of counselors there is victory. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Oh, good morning. I am Jeff Schultz, one of the lead pastors here at Faith, and it is my uh, privilege and honor to introduce Dr. Nick Perrin and uh, welcome him. Nick uh, came to Faith in Christ at a Navigators Conference in college, and then that transitioned to uh, full-time campus ministry within right. InterVarsity, right. Uh, and then uh, part-time work within InterVarsity while attending Covenant Seminary, so I get a fist bump for that because we're fellow Covenant grads. Uh, where you, at the same time, also met your wife, uh, Cammie, yep. and you all have been married 27 years, is that right? That's and right. two grown sons, yep. so that's an awesome blessing. Uh, along the way, uh, Nick has been a local church pastor, a research assistant to N.T. Wright at Westminster Abbey in London, a seminary professor and part-time chaplain, a graduate school dean at Wheaton College, author of more than a dozen books, and now president of Trinity International University, our uh, denominational undergraduate and uh, divinity school up in Deerfield. Uh, and that is more than just a formal relationship that we have with Trinity. Uh, two of our pastors are TED's graduates, and a number of our elders and other people at Faith have degrees from Trinity. So even though we've not met before, we have a strong relationship, and uh, we're pleased to call you brother. And have you here to bring God's word to us? Would you join me in welcoming Nick Perrin? Thank you. Thank you, brother. All right. Well, wonderful. Well, good morning. It's so good to be here this morning at Faith Church. And warm greetings from uh, Trinity International University, which includes Trinity College, our undergraduate arm, uh, TEDS, or Trinity Evangelical Divinity School our law school in Orange County, California, and our campuses in Trinity, Florida. Uh, it's such an honor for us to serve the EFCA, uh, you, you, our denomination, our movement together as our educational arm, and excited, too, about these partnerships, these global partnerships. And uh, we at Trinity are also involved in many of those kind of partnerships where we're, we're bringing undergraduate education and so, so it's crucial uh, seminary training for uh, the pastors and leaders of God's church and delighted to be part of all, all that. Uh, I'm, I'm also delighted in recent months just knowing that I can like, walk into places now and saying, you know, I wonder, I feel like the pandemic, maybe, maybe it's just easing up. And uh, if you're getting that feeling too, and, and as, as you think back to the big lockdown, 
Uh, you might think there were things that you really said, oh boy, we really hit that. We read War and Peace that time. Yeah, that was great. Or not really, I didn't read War and Peace. But you know, you had that big project you wanted to do. But one thing I would have done differently is maybe watch less TV, you know, where you just kind of have that remote and you're saying you're spending as much time looking for something to watch as you are actually watching something. And my wife, Cammie, she kind of got on this hook with this cable station called HGTV. All right. Okay. So some of you are familiar with HGTV. It's all about houses. And she says, hey, you know, if you could just like watch this show with me. I'm, oh, I'm not really not interested in watching a show about houses. No, just watch it. Okay. I'll watch this show. And the show was called Good Bones. So Good Bones is actually set here in Indianapolis and involves a mother-daughter duo who make it their business to flip houses. In other words, to buy houses for dirt cheap, really cruddy houses, but make them into something beautiful by the end of it and resell it at a profit, all with the camera crews rolling and running. And so in this particular episode, they buy the scraggliest, uh, most rubble-filled house you can imagine where there's filling dumpsters with things, and you're just wondering, how are they going to turn this around? And then there's this point where the, they're, they're counting on the load-bearing walls running this way, and they get down to the basement, and they realize that they're actually running this way, and there's that moment where the camera closes up on their face, which is all screwed up out of perplexity and, to, and horror, knowing that they thought the load-bearing walls were going to go this way when they were actually going this way. And then, of course, it was time for pause for a commercial break, and I said, honey, just pause it. I'm going to get a Coke and some popcorn. I'll be back, okay? <laughs> because I want to know how, how do you take a house where the load-bearing walls are going this way, and you want them to go that way, and when you think about the book of Proverbs, in some ways, it's kind of like that. Where, where God has come into our messed up world with all its brokenness, he's brought the dumpster and he, he's moved it out, loaded our sin onto Jesus Christ, and he's in this flip project where he's flipping this old creation and making it into a new creation through Jesus Christ. He's taking this old house and making it into a new house, and he's doing that through the church. Amen? Amen. But the problem is, is in the midst of this project, so much is going this way, and God's purposes are going that way, and that leaves us with the, the problem of figuring out how, how do you navigate life like that in that kind of situation. And I think it really comes down to this. If you look at the, our passage, one way to summarize it is as follows. You know, we, got, we know that God is building a house. And as a result of that, we have to make wise choices. So this morning, I want to talk about some of those wise choices and what they involve. So let's start at the top of the passage with verse 24. I'm packing the NIV today, which says this, Do not envy the wicked, do not desire their company, for their hearts plot violence, and their lips talk about making trouble. Here's the first principle, if you're taking notes. The first principle is uh, we need to choose our friends wisely. We need to choose our friends wisely. Now go back to that verse 1. It, the Scripture says, Do not envy the wicked, 
And that raises the question, well, okay, well, who are the wicked? And if you step back and read the book of Proverbs and see how the word wicked is used in the book of Proverbs, and indeed throughout the whole Bible, the wicked doesn't just refer to the most dastardly and nasty of people who do bad stuff. It refers to everybody who doesn't do things God's way. Who's, in other words, who doesn't recognize the one true God as God. Or for our purposes, anyone who doesn't name Jesus Christ as their Lord. Now you might say to yourself, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. I know people who don't share my faith, who don't self-identify as a Christian, but I wouldn't think of them as wicked. But think of it this way. If somebody is living their life in opposition to the king of the universe and in defiance of the king of the universe, is the Bible really far off in calling such an individual wicked? The passage describes the wicked in two ways. There's two truths about the wicked. First, their hearts plot violence. Their inner being devises violence, or maybe put it this way, they hatch havoc. And this, this word violence, in the Hebrew, the word is showed, and this word showed really means just a flattening. So when the enemy comes in and levels the village, they inflict showed, flattens out every house. Second thing about the wicked is their lips... They talk about making trouble. Now, now, the wicked might be actually saying what seems like positive things or well-intentioned things. It doesn't always have to be like with malicious intent. But sometimes in life, don't you find that sometimes the most people who try to be most helpful are actually some of the most unhelpful people you meet? And that's because if they're not orienting around God's wisdom to begin with, that's the risk you take. So those are the two truths about the wicked. Now here are two instructions about the wicked. First one is this, top of the passage, do not envy the wicked. Do not envy the wicked. Now I don't know about you, but, but do you ever get in one of those funks where you know people, and you know they don't go to church, you know they don't care about the faith the way you care about the faith, and they seem like the most carefree individuals that you ever met. They're healthy. They, you know, they, they're smart. They're talented. Um, they're, they've got a lot of stuff. They seem to have it all together. People think they're popular. Uh, you know, their, their kid is a captain of the tennis team in high school and on the honor roll. And your kids, I mean, you know, they're just normal kids. They're just holding it together. And you, and you say, Wow. Scripture says, do not envy those outside the body of Christ. Here's the second thing Scripture says. Don't desire their company. Do not desire their company. And you say to me, whoa, 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 okay, whoa, preacher, because, you know, I thought that part of our job as followers of Jesus Christ the same Jesus who supped with tax collectors and sinners was to actually spend time with people 
who don't know the Lord so that we can share our faith, so that we can be a light on a stand in the hopes of winning them to faith. And now you're saying, don't, share their comp don't desire their company. And let me just give this caveat. That's not what I'm saying. We need to be hanging out with people in order to share the gospel message. We have, we have this beautiful gospel. We have to be engaged in relationships in which we share it. That's not what the proverb is talking about. I want to focus in on the verb here in my NIV, the verb desire. The verb desire. Because another way of translating this verb desire is crave. It's one thing to want to hang out to, with somebody. It's another thing to crave it. So last night, by the way, my, my son Nathaniel is here, um, and we drove in last night, and he's driving, and we got off the exit, I think 71st Street, I saw a sign for Steak and Shake. I said, Steak and Shake? Um, let's, let's get a shake. And uh, because I, I was craving that shake. And we pull up, and it's closed. And he said, well, I guess we'll just kind of go to the hotel. No, wait, no, no, there's got to be another steak. Yep, only within 15 miles from here, that's all. <laughs> so we went to the other steak and shake because when you crave something, you need to have it. Scripture says, you know, when you're craving to hang with people, uh, who, uh, just it's a time to self-inspect. It's time to ask yourself, you know, this person, am I trying to live vicariously in that person's sin because I'm enjoying that sin through another person? Whether it's the gossip or what they do or what they say. Do not envy the wicked. Do not desire their company. But the question is, well, why? It says right here, verse 2, for their hearts plot violence and their lips talk about making trouble. Now, remember, I told you that word violence, it's showed. It means a leveling. And the best way I can illustrate the principle is with reference to the awful, awful incident that happened about three weeks ago on the coast of Florida with the collapse of the Champlain Towers. A, tr a recent Trinity grad was in that building, she and her daughter and her husband. The story comes back from her that she felt the shaking in the middle of the night. She got up, instinctively went to her daughter's bedroom to get her daughter. Before she knew it, the master bedroom she just fled from was gone, and her husband as well. She grabbed her daughter, and then that room started collapsing, and they slid from the 11th floor to the 7th floor, essentially riding the rubble on the way down. They, 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 were, they went through a surgery, they're fine, they're recovering. Their, their cat even survived, and that made international news. But when, uh, the best that we can tell so far, and I'm sure there'll be a full report later, is that one of the big contributing factors to the collapse of that tower was, was water. From the pool deck, they were just kind of dripping in, and the, the rebar was beginning to deteriorate and rust, and that's all in the foundation, and you couldn't see it coming. It just, no one saw this happening. And that's the way it is with people who are caught up 
in plotting violence and making trouble. They bring about this great collapse in their own lives and they take other people down with them. So don't be caught. Choose your friends wisely. Choose those you admire wisely. Here's the second thing. We must also choose our priorities wisely. Verse 3, by wisdom a house is built and through understanding it is established. Through knowledge its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You know, I have to imagine that as Solomon, I'm assuming Solomon wrote these Proverbs. I might be wrong, but I'm assuming it's Solomon. When Solomon wrote that verse 3 about wisdom being a key component of building a house, he had to have thought about his dad, David, and how David went to God one day in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and said, okay, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a temple. And God says, oh, yeah? How about I build you a house instead? You see, and God says, I'm going to make a covenant with you and your house is going to be around forever. And it's going to start with your son, Solomon. And so Solomon inherits the house. And so what Solomon does is he says, hmm, what I'm going to do is not ask for riches and wealth. I'm going to go to God and seek wisdom and understanding. And he asks God for those things and God gives him those things. And oh, as a PS, here's a lot of wealth too. But he sought God's wisdom, and it gave him the ability to build the house, the dynasty, you see. So wisdom, Solomon knew what he was talking about when he said, by wisdom, a house is built. But then the rest of the verse goes on to break it down a little bit. And I'm sure as you've been going in a, through a series in the book of Proverbs, you're talking a lot about wisdom, a lot about knowledge, and a lot about understanding, and how those pieces hold together. And, and I believe that's what's going on here is in order to get to wisdom, you need knowledge and understanding. They're component steps. So let's start with understanding. Verse 3b says this, Through understanding, that house is established. Through understanding. It's the understanding is the foundation of the house. But what's understanding? Understanding is the ability to, to discern principles from this situation and apply it to a different situation. And Solomon was really good at that. And we know that because we have this book of Proverbs where over and over again he's taking principles from one situation, even the animal world, and applying it to real moral life. People with wisdom can transfer, people with understanding know how to transfer concepts. It's the ability to know what's really going on. And you know what, sometimes you think you know what's going on, but you really don't. I've been in my role as president at Trinity for just over two years now. And one thing I've learned is that Max Dupree, the businessman and author, was absolutely right when he said a leader's first order of business is to define reality. To define reality. My employees, my staff and faculty at Trinity count on me every day to define reality. 
But you know, think about it too. Think about your pastoral team. The team that leads you week in, week out. What they're doing when they're up here bringing God's word to you and leading worship is, is as you're in the world of competing realities, they're bringing you back home and helping to define reality for you. Moms, dad, your kids need you or counting on you to define, to define reality. Now, there's going to be days where they're going to give you that counter-reality, but your job is to show understanding and say, no, here's what's really going on. And the thing is, if you're in a system where there's competing accounts of reality, you don't have a foundation. So what we need to do is define reality according to God's Word. But here's the other thing, is the first, and here's my first priority, is we need to prioritize times of reflection in our lives. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes my life is so busy, I'm just reacting all the time. Rather than taking the time to sit before God and prayerfully ask Him, God, what's really going on? Show me what reality is. And in His own way, I believe God does. It might be a process, might involve other people, but we need reflection times so that we can get understanding. So that's, that's the first priority, is priority to reflect. There's another priority, and that's to prioritize your spiritual palate. Your spiritual palate. If, you know, you've tasted wine before, I don't know if there's anybody in that category. To me, it tastes like grape juice. But somehow people have the ability, they sit down at a fine meal, or wine, or a fine wine, and then you get to discern all these nuances. It's because they have a trained palate. I think what, what Solomon is getting at here in this verse is making sure that we have a palate. Now, here's how we get there. Through knowledge, verse 4, the house's rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. A room with rare and beautiful treasures. Hmm. That makes me think of Solomon's life. Because if you read in 1 Kings or if you read in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, you'll know that what Solomon did when he became king is he became a collector. He collected utensils. He collected stuff. He collected art objects. If it was silver, he said, I don't want it. If it's not gold, I'm not bringing it in my house. He collected plants and trees he, he, he collected animals. He had baboons and gorillas hanging out. And as he's collecting all these things, you know what that assumes? Is he knows what to collect and what to say no to. What to bring in the house. And he says, no, got, got some of those. No, that's not rare, but this is rare. Let's bring that in. It's the ability to make distinctions. And that's what knowledge is. Is that you're, you, you know enough about something that you're able to make distinctions. Distinguishing between what's just common and not so important and what's really important. 25 years ago, Cammie and I went to Alaska and we were at the outside of Mount Denali and there was this bus trip you could take and you put down an extraordinary amount of money to hop on a school bus with other tourists. And it was a long bus trip. It was, you know, four hours there, four hours back. 
And the idea was is you just see a lot of wildlife. So, you know, we got on the bus trip, and of course, it's not a paved road for four hours. So you're kind of, you're bouncing along on this bus trip, and you're waiting to see, you know, moose, you're waiting to see bear, you're waiting to see it all, because you're riding on this bus. And you're still waiting, and you're still waiting, and the time is ticking down, and there's a sense of desperation. And then the bus slows down, and then all of a sudden, a tourist from that side of the bus runs over to the other side of the bus and just starts taking pictures. Well, what happens next is everyone else on this side of the bus gets up, goes over, and they say, we don't even know what we're taking pictures of, but we're just going to start taking pictures. And do you know what it was? It was a squirrel. <laughs> and Kim and I looked at each other and said, well, maybe they don't have squirrels where they come from. But squirrels aren't important in our world. What we need now more than ever, where we have so much information being sent to our brain, coming in through our iPhone, coming in through things that we see, coming everywhere, we have to have the ability to discern treasure and to discern junk and the squirrels in life. And if, if you're out of practice, you lose the ability. And you lose the ability to know what's beautiful anymore. And when you lo lose the ability to discern the beautiful, you know what happens next? You lose the ability to really to worship. Because worship is recognizing the beauty of God. And if you warped your own sense of beauty, it's hard to see God. So guard your palate. Watch what you take in. Be discerning. Third priority is prioritize God's people. Prioritize reflection. Prioritize your spiritual palate. Third priority is prioritize God's people. Solomon says, by wisdom a house is built. Now I want you to fast forward to the New Testament and ask you, who is wisdom in the New Testament? What do we discover about wisdom? And the answer is very clear. Jesus Christ himself is wisdom. And the other thing is, he's also building a house. It's called the church. And you're in that house today. So you're, you're in this flipped house project, you see. And Jesus is the chief contractor, and it's his house. And He's building it, and he's building it with his wisdom. And he's establishing it through the foundation of understanding that only he has and that he gives the leaders in the church. And through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. You know, this morning, there's some people in Indianapolis who got up this morning and said, you know what, I'm going to go to the Indianapolis Museum of Art today to see treasures, to see art. But whatever they're seeing over there, and I'm sure it's great, pales in comparison to what's happening here. Because right here, sitting right next to you, in the chairs, are treasures rare and beautiful. That's God's opinion of you. And that's God's opinion of, yes, even that guy sitting next to you who sings out of tune. 
rare and beautiful treasures. That means we prioritize God's people. Let me make my last point is this, is that we must choose our advisors wisely. Verse 5 says this, The wise prevail through great power, and those who have knowledge muster their strength. Surely you need guidance to wage war, and victory is won through many advisors. Now, think again about Solomon. Solomon inherited this great kingdom from his dad, who fought off the enemies, expanded the territory of Israel, and Solomon was no dummy. He knew that if he didn't keep the kingdom secure, all those enemies waiting in the wings are just waiting for that moment of weakness where they can get looming in and take back territory. And he's thinking, well, well, the wise will prevail with great power. And God gave me that, and those who have knowledge muster their strength, and God gave me understanding. But here's what he also says. He says, surely you need guidance to wage war. Solomon was the smartest man in the whole Old Testament, the wisest. But his advice is, you better get yourself some advisors because you can't make it in life without good advisors. I can't hope to win my wars with these guys. I can't hope to protect the house without good advisors. This afternoon, as Nathaniel and I hit the road, we'll be driving south to Kentucky, passing the site of the last battle that was fought in Indiana during the Civil War. That battle would not have been necessary if things had turned out slightly different at another battle in Maryland called Antietam in 1862. And at that battle, Union General McClellan was poised for utter victory. And the reason he was poised for utter victory over Robert E. Lee and his Confederate troops is because the order from Lee stumbled into his hands. He knew exactly how many men Lee had. He knew exactly where they were. And he knew he had everything, all the troops he needed to wipe Lee out and finish the Civil War right there and then. He had it right there. But there were some other advisors saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. We, we, we don't really know what's going on. I, I, I don't know. I don't know about that, George. And so what did George do? He had some people saying, go for it, go for it. Other people saying, don't go, don't. And he just sat on his hands for two days. And by that time, the whole situation had changed. Missed opportunity to end a war. Advisor, good advisors are really, really important. And you know what we can't lose sight of in the, in the church? It's the critical importance of advisors. We need them now more than ever. And, and, and the reason why is because we are at war. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are officially at war. Paul puts it this way, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities of this world. We're locked into a spiritual conflict. And we need prayer for that, but we also need wise, godly people who know more than we do and find those people and say, help me out here. And we need to be those advisors to others and make yourself available to that. And one of the problems I think that's going on in our society today is we're, we're fighting the wrong war. We have some people in the church 
who say, this is a really big deal, and I'm not saying it's a big, big deal, but there's certain vices attached with this particular sin, and those, those people who exhibit those vices become the preeminent bad guy. And so they turn all the attention of the war on people who represent those sins and say, that's the real enemy inside the church and outside the church. And once you're not fighting the right war, you're halfway to losing the real war. Follow me? What we need is properly identify what's the real war we're fighting here. Who is it against? Scripture is clear. It's against Satan and his dominions. But we also need guidance. Victory is won through many advisors and good advisors. You know, when we raised our kids, we did, we did it all. We did homeschooling, we did Christian schooling, we did public schooling, and there's value in all those venues. But right now, as president of Trinity, I'm, our, our seminary is in the business of, of providing advisors to pastors to give them an education because you can't learn what you need to learn on YouTube as a pastor. Information is not enough. We, we have this college because, uh, and with godly people as pr professors because you can't learn what you need to learn on YouTube because information is not enough. You need somebody who's lived it. And so whatever you're thinking about in terms of education options, please, please, please have a vision which looks for the individual who can model what, where we're all trying to go, those advisors who can speak into that space. Why? Because this is a house that we're, we're living in, but it also needs to be guarded because there's somebody who wants to take the house down. Today, if you're here and you're in this house and maybe your support walls are going this way and God's are going this way, you know, you're, you're in an unsure foundation. And what you need to do is you need to get right with God and you need to come to him and confess your sins and say, I'm putting all my supports in the wrong place. I'm trusting in the wrong advisors. I'm looking to social media for my cues. I'm, 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 I, I need your wisdom, God. But it starts with getting right with you. So if you don't know the Lord today, he wants you to come and he wants you to put your trust in him. If you're here and you need a fresh start in terms of Find, making right choices and choosing wisely in terms of your friends, in terms of our priorities, in terms of finally getting advisors in your life and making up your mind. You're not going to do it alone. This is your day. Let's pray. Father, we come before you so desperately in need of wisdom because life is hard and it feels like we're in this world where the support teams are going all the wrong way. Give us the wisdom to know what to do next. Give us the wisdom to follow the lead of Jesus, to rely on his strength, knowing that the battle has already been won and the house ultimately has already been built. Thank you, Lord, that you included us in this new old house project, and we will be with you in that house forever. Amen.